This week's episode of Film School Fridays is brought to you by ThatKevinSmithClub.com. That's right, man. If you can't get enough of the sound of my voice, then you could surf on over to ThatKevinSmithClub.com. Join up. Watch Wake and Bake five days a week. Listen to Plus One. So much more. ThatKevinSmithClub.com. What are you waiting for? Join the club. Class is back in session. Welcome to Film School Fridays. I'm your host, Kevin Smith. Um, okay, there's a filmmaker out there, ladies and gentlemen, who for years people would uh, come up to me and be like, you know who the Mexican you is? Um, and I'd say, who? And they'd be like, Guillermo del Toro, man. And I was like, oh, um, I'm sure he'd hate to hear that. I met Guillermo years later. And one of the first things he said to me, and I'm not going to try to do his accent or his voice. One of the first things he said to me was like, so many people come up to me and say that uh, you are the American me, which I thought was actually quite adorable. Uh, Guillermo del Toro uh, is one of uh, our era's greatest filmmakers, bar none. And <laughs> dude's got an, an Oscar to his name, but that does not a great filmmaker make. Um, you're talking about somebody who's... Uh, craft is so on point so beyond his peers um uh, in, this peer included um he ranks his own category of film you dis- you can know a Guillermo del Toro film distinctly watching the opening 30 seconds of it um, it's a, a signature style and an interest in subject matter, uh, that appeals to genre enthusiasts, but crosses over to the highbrow to people who would never watch a movie about a, a sea monster for lack of a better description, having an affair with like a human woman, essentially a version of creature of the black lagoon, man. And yet it won an Oscar and that's not material that's the material in the right hands of a true artist to talk about uh his latest film which i just found out it shows you what an idiot i am because i'm watching this movie going like this is crazy original and then somebody the other day was like it's a remake bro and i was like what and they're like yeah man there's a there's a remake this movie actually like uh, existed at one point and and i just saw on twitter recently like side by side quote-unquote frame comparisons between the first the original film which i guess is you know available through criterion and uh the present film uh nightmare alley which will be from what i understand on hbo max on february 1st uh if you haven't seen it and i suspect you haven't because this was a movie i believe that was made by fox and then disney of course acquired fox a minute ago and Disney wound up in control of this film. And I, you know, I, there's a lot of people online will swear that it was just unceremoniously dumped by, by the distributor. Um, you know, I, I can't speak to that. I saw some billboards, but I honestly, I've seen this movie and I deeply appreciate it, but I, I don't know what sell 
was going to penetrate and break through the mainstream. Like I, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily fault Disney on that. Uh, this is one of those tough to sell movies. Um, this, I, I, when this movie was done, I felt not that, Hey, it's the same as, or mine is as good as, but I felt a kinship with nightmare alley. That was like, I was like, Oh, it's, it's like Tusk. And as much as like when, when Tusk was over, people would ask me like, who's that for? And I'm like, well, for me, number one, and I, I don't know. I hope people, I hope a few people. When I was finished with Nightmare Alley, that was the thought I had. And I didn't mean that dismissively, but I was like, wow, like that is, you know, Tusk is like $3 million. And even that was probably too much money. This is a movie that's got like Bradley Cooper in it. Kate Blanchett, uh, Rooney Ma- Mara, is that how you say her name? Um, and some other, oh, Willem Dafoe, uh, and it's a period piece, and it's shot within an inch of its life, and art directed, and, and uh, within an inch of its life, the costumes are insane. A long way of saying, I, they spent more than a buck oh five on this picture, man. Like, there was some money spent on this picture. So the thing that like when the movie was done you know just guesstimating how much that cost there was this feeling of like well i i get it man i like making movies for like 10 people but generally i i do it inexpensively i was like this man chose his magic moment this is the first film following his academy award if i remember correctly this was his like that you can do anything you want what do you want to do and he did it. He chose to spend his currency wisely at the time he did, because I don't know how else this movie would have got made. And that, again, that is not to put the movie down. I love the movie. I was enthralled by the movie and I'm haunted by the movie still to this day. So much so that it's the third episode of our, uh, this volume of Film School Fridays. But it is dizzying to think about the amount of people who were probably between, you know, Guillermo pitching this and making the movie go like, are you sure you want to do this? It's a brave movie that a filmmaker, only a filmmaker who's at their peak of their game and, uh, you know, commanding uh, the world's respect and cinema's respect could get away with making. Um, That being said, I'm glad he made it, man. Remake or not. And I'm unfamiliar with the original. Um, as I said, it's a haunting film, arresting, uh, not a uh, mystery box, uh, as the JJ people call that concept, more just a mystery and slowly unfolding film noir that I, I had no idea where it was going at any given point. Again, I didn't watch or see the original that, that the, this film remakes. So, you know, this for me, was a discovery. You know, I, I knew that he was making another movie. <coughs> and, I, you know, I saw the billboards when it was coming out and stuff. But, you know, I was not like, you know, uh, first in line, man. It's not a Marvel movie. So I was like, you can wait. I'll get there. And I'm so glad that, like, they sent me an Academy screener because one night I turned to Jen and I was like, you know, there's this Guillermo del Toro movie. Um, she's like, what's it about? I was like, I have no idea, but it's, you know, Kate Blanchett's in it. And I listed the cast and she was like, let's do it. 
and the two of us like i didn't get laid that night because the two of us at the end of the movie were like jesus you know it's the movie is arresting it's a it's an assault to common sense because the things that happen in it aren't commonsensical um and it's insanely well made and and i you know i, I don't know guillermo enough to uh lay claim to to uh, uh something like this but feels very guillermo del toro to me like feels maybe perhaps the most outside of pan's labyrinth the most guillermo del toroist thing um in as much as it looks like he made something that he loved or remade something that he loved um for this episode of film school friday z with the s at the end um we turn to a guillermo del toro expert or at least as close as we got within the vicinity uh coming all the way from burbank ladies and gentlemen um he's an artist that uh i've been working with um we did a mall rat show oh, i didn't do a mall rat show there was a mall rat show at gallery uh 1988 which is uh jensen carp's gallery uh out here that's uh, you know wonderful space for paintings uh from usually local artists but now artists from all around the world um but a very distinct uh, subject matter, generally pop culture, uh, cult films, things like that. Uh, Crazy for Cult series, that comes out of Gallery 1988. They had a mall rat show, and there was this gorgeous, uh, these mall rats figures, and it was a Jay and Silent Bob, and they were rats. Um, and there was a piece, like a two-dimensional piece of them together. And uh, it was like, I loved it so much. I missed the figures. Somebody else scapped them up very quickly. Um, I was able to get the other piece and, and fell in love uh, with the artist's work. Uh, and the artist <clears throat> is here today. He uh, does more than rats. Uh, he has done uh, a, a me as well uh, in Sideshow Collectibles has this uh, series of, of plastic toys. Not just they make those gorgeous fucking sculptures, but they do plastic toys now as well. And they did a Guillermo del Toro, um, what they call guru. And it was a cartoon version of Guillermo. And he had like six arms. And each hand of the arm is holding something that represents Guillermo in his world. Beautiful piece. And it was at Gallery 1988 Guillermo show. A full on, just flat out, all Guillermo del Toro show uh, that was curated by uh the artist and and our guest today uh a guy who knows a fair bit about guillermo um and knows a fair bit about art we're gonna get to know him and then dive into nightmare alley at uh, nightmare nightmare alley uh welcome to the show one name kids branded like a motherfucker man the, the only name in art that matters one name children how are you my friend uh, thanks for having me, Kevin. That was quite an introduction. <laughs> very, very special and humbled. Tell the kids uh, who you are. Give them your bona fides uh, so they uh, know where you're coming at uh, with all this Guillermo stuff. You're not just a guy who's like, I like Guillermo del Toro movies. Obviously, you are, but you're more than that. Tell yeah. them about the, the show that you curated and the guru. So um, 
my name is Chogren. I'm an artist and storyteller. I've been working in the industry for the last 10 years. And, you know, I've been inspired by artists like you, Guillermo. Um, and it's funny, before we get into it, mm -hmm. I just want to say that it's hilarious that people said that you were the Mexican Guillermo because I, I meet, that was the first thing I wanted to say at the beginning of this podcast is that both of you are so alike that I'm, it would be amazing for you to have them on the podcast just for the fact that you are both ex-Catholics yeah. and you both get high on your own supply. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. The only difference between us other than uh, the geographical one is uh, he is crazy fucking talented, well, born to be a filmmaker, a vi not just a filmmaker, but a visual stylist because it goes beyond film for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're and, a, you're a different kind of filmmaker though. I mean, I just I'm think you, you have, you have the heart. You got to have that passion because otherwise, you know, if you don't have that passion, you don't make it in this business. It's true. But he's got the heart and he also has the eye, you know, or the eyes that are on hands that what, cover what he, somebody's What he likes face. to call eye protein. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, he says that in his films there, and a lot of films have eye candy. He likes to put eye protein. Eye protein. Where it's kind of like you're telling a story, but without saying anything. You know, you're putting like little props in the background that are kind of either adding to the character or just like telling a whole other story in itself, like another layer. So. I met him years ago, probably a decade back. I get probably around Pans, maybe a little before before Pans even. Jeff Robinov, who used to run Warner Brothers, uh, was having a party for his kid, and and uh, me and Jen stopped by. And Guillermo, I think it was when he, you know, uh, dropped weight because he's he's like me. He's gone up, down, up, down, and stuff. So it was one of the first times where it was like, hey, man, what happened to half of you and stuff? So I met him and he like smoked right over to me and was so chatty and cheerful. And that's when he told me the I'm the American. They tell me I'm the American. You oh, that's um, awesome. such a lovely dude. And, you know, we chit chatted for like 20 minutes there and you could tell I was like, oh, my God. And I even said I was like, I do a podcast, man. You got to come on. And he was like, I would love to. And that was, mind you, a decade back, like time flies. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he's, he's got a similar energy, you know, there was a very like, wow, it's kind of like looking in a mirror effect to it right down to the, even the shape of us and the facial hair and the, the, like, you know, when we speak about movies and cinema, it's with passion. He has a lot more erudition than I do. He's, he's like a Quentin in as much as like he sees, I mean, he must've, like here proof positive i didn't even know nightmare alley was another movie yeah uh no uh i think i think both of you um like like i mean there's a reason why i'm doing a guru of him and you I mean, <laughs> and I think, uh, there, there's a compliment right there um yeah he one of the first movie that i saw of, of his in theaters and this is the this is the how i b both got into hellboy and uh and guillermo del toro mm. was blade 2 i saw blade 2 in the theater that's right. That was him. Now, who did Blade One? Not him. Uh, Steve Norrington. So he comes in and takes over Blade Two. And yeah, you know, the Blade One had the shower scene that everybody remembers, but Blade Two had this like crazy action. It had the it had the Reaper, and it was almost basically from I remember watching the special features. It was kind of like his movie to prove that he could do Hellboy. He could do a superhero movie. He wanted to be like, and, look, because this is the one I really believe in. Yeah. I want to do Mignola's Hellboy, but look, I could do this. And this was 2002. You know, like the superhero God, movie. The, 20 years ago. Yeah, I know. I know this year. During the years. dark period for the superhero movie, right. like between the Batman, between Batman and Robin and the resurgence of like 
say X Men. Like I, I put Blade as the beginning of the resurgence of comic book movie, yeah. but yeah. by the time you get to X Men, Spider Man, that's when it's like Spider Man, Spider Man. That's when you get to like, oh, this shit's here to yeah. stay. It's no longer a fluke or a one-off and stuff. But that's true. I forgot that he did Blade Two, and it was just so visually arresting and like it. I'm, I'm certainly I'm not lowering one to raise one to lower another, but in a, in a world where you're like, all right, you're not the director of Blade, the original Blade, you're mm-hmm. stepping into it, and you've already got a filmmaking career of your own. Mm-hmm. You've already established yourself. Yeah. Um, I remember that movie popping, yeah. and I remember at the time people being like, oh, like Blade Two is actually really good, man, and the director. Yeah. is who's doing it that's he's that's what's you know where it's coming from it was very it was very comic booky um as opposed to the first one the first one is rad because uh, it's got like still has exploding vampires and stuff like like guillermo took from everything from the first one and put it like on speed dial right, right, right. you know um and also you know adding i don't know if you ever got into his series the strain but he loves every guillermo del toro movie will have like a big anatomy or a dissection Thing. So he loves like creating these kind of creatures. So the, the vampires in the movie were called the Reapers and they're like, you know, super intricate, like their whole mouth opens up. Uh, anyways, uh, fast forward from watching the theater and then I saw the special features on DVD, mm. the Blade 2, because that's the only reason you really to buy DVDs back then is because of the special features. I remember the Dogma one. Um, there were many film schools, man. Like there was a whole generation Rodriguez, of kids yeah, who grew those... up watching the special features, yeah. particularly the Lord of the Rings features. Oh, <laughs> yeah. like now oh, filmmakers yeah. work in the field. Yeah. So in that, in those, uh, <coughs> in those special features, um, he he was talking about Blade, but half the time he was talking about Hellboy, <laughs> and he very very like, uh, you know, he, there's little Hellboy Easter eggs. Like Norman Reedus is wearing a BPRD shirt like in the movie yeah. so so it's kind of so i was like oh who's this like a demon who's wearing goggles you know and he immediately went to the comic book store and that kind of started a whole love affair with between del toro mignola so now like i never had a superhero uh that i could call like my own like everybody's mm. like oh my favorite superhero is spider-man for me hellboy was that that moment i was like this is my guy so this that's the the guy that I exclusively collect superhero wise. And he and and oddly enough it was like a d- filmmaker who got you into yeah. the character. Yep, 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 yeah. And I actually that's one of the things I um I uh I tweeted the there was a tweet back and forth with me, between me and him and I said uh congratulations to Nightmare Alley and I just said uh you know now uh, I'm still hope crossing my fingers for Hellboy 3 finish finish off the trilogy. He I wants know, to go back and do the one with Ron, right? I mean, I don't know if he does, but I want. I <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we live in an age where we got freaking Ghostbusters 3 in yeah. a, in a sense. So, not I, I don't I'm not going to say it's not possible. Anything's possible now. You know, um because I thought after the you know the 2016 Ghostbusters, we're like, oh, we're done. Yeah, that's, that's it. We'll never we, see it again. And then you know, here we are. And then now it's like, oh my god, they can keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, you're bona fides in art. You went to you're from uh, Philly area, and you went to where? Where did school? I went to the University of the Arts in Philly, um, which is where um, uh, VUSQ, another VUSQ alumni, uh, teaches there. D- Dave Deneen. Dave uh, Deneen is the guy who, if you ever looked at Buddy Christ, you're looking. At the face of Dave Deneen. Yeah. He was the artist <coughs> who was a <coughs> rat face. Robert Holtzman, our production designer, tapped him, his friend Dave Deneen. He said, uh, hey, man, can you make the Buddy Christ statue for us? This is what it has to look like based on the script. And uh, 
you know, Dave Deneen went out and bought this old marble statue of Jesus. Or oh, that's Mary. right. He cut off the arms. He cut yeah, off the, the arms and the head, yeah. which is almost sacrilegious. Because his face, it's literally Dave. And it's Dave's face. Yeah. He, he, he basically sculpted his own face as the face of Jesus, the winking Jesus buddy Christ. Yeah. That is the face of Dave Deneen. You can search the picture online. Yeah. I posted it. It's also, in, the, it's also in your book. It's in the book as yeah, well. That's yeah. right. Secret stash. Um, it's it's hysterical because there's Dave standing right next to the Buddy Christ doing the same exact pose, yeah. and you can see he just made himself Jesus adorable. So he teaches at that school. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, last time I checked, I mean, I now I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I'm like, oh, I've been away from school for a while, for a minute. Getting, but he uh, used to at that point. He used to, yeah. I think he was uh, in uh, film and animation. I never had, I I never had the, you know. Um, I heard he was just an awesome teacher, so I, in a weird in a weird way, I felt like ah, I missed out. But I always heard the stories. I'm like, oh yeah, he, he did the Buddy Christ and Dogma, and then uh, also um, Ted Biaselli, who I don't know very well, but I interacted with him here and there because we're both huge Motu fans. Um, he went to UArts as well. So. Back in the day, like you knew him? No, no, I didn't. I but just, you like, interacted just, just from just from being in the industry, and I was like, oh, you know, like alumni, you know, because right, sometimes right. they'll send a newsletter. I'm like, hey, this guy's doing this, and I was like, oh, cool. So <laughs> and so I, you know, I was like, dude, like you're like part of the, the responsible for bringing masters back and by the way let me go on record that your masters is amazing you doug thank yes. you thank i love you. it well, I, it's, it's always nice to hear that coming from so coming from a kid like, coming from a kid look at the rings he's got a fucking skeleton ring as a gray skull ring and what's the and it's a fucking he-man ring yeah this is frankenstein but these two are, uh, yeah yeah uh i got gray a skull and skeleton Hancho oh, Hancholo jewelry is that what it is? Yeah, Hancholo. Yeah. Fucking gorgeous. Um, um, Ted went to school there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When did you come from the East Coast to the West Coast? You've been out here in California how long? Oh, my gosh. Now more than – a little bit over 11 years. What did you come out for? For um, I came to work for animation. I, I had, Originally, when I was going to school in Philly, I went to um, study illustration. But mm -hmm. I knew that my end goal was to be able to tell – my stories through animation and you know storyteller film um so and you got a style your specific art style <clears throat> presumably one day you make your own cartoon it looks like that right it's going to look like your stuff yeah and my style i should say is very much inspired by um the fleischer cartoons uh old rubber hose animation uh abai works who I, I got to give a shout out to because not, he doesn't get enough love. He was the co-creator of Mickey Mouse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, How do you say his name? Uh, uh, Ub. Ub? Uh, I think it might have been pronounced Oob. But I always I, thought like when I read it because it I believe it's spelled U-B-I. Yeah. U I always U thought it was like U-B. Like yeah, U-B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, he's the guy who co-created Mickey. Mickey Mouse. Yeah, and he was literally when I think because they lost the rights to Oswald, he was literally animating. Uh, uh, I think I believe everybody knows it's you know uh, uh, Steamboat Willie, but I think it was Plain Crazy, the one that he was like he was still working at Universal like under contract, and he was animating like I think something ridiculous like seven hundred pages a day. Oh. So, so, you know, he made, I, every time I, I go to Disneyland, I, I always want to be like, there should be a statue of that guy, <laughs> of that guy. Cause I, especially in California adventure, it's Walt from the 1920s. I'm like, Oh, should be right, ne right next to and him. And also it's like in a world where they brought Oswald back yeah. and made a big fucking deal about like, he's back. It's like, all right, how about you yeah. fucking honor the guy that the human being there's a, there's a, uh, you know, of course, Walt Disney everywhere, big Walt Disney statue in Disney world and Disneyland. But yeah. In uh, at the Disney lot, there's a Roy Disney statue. Yep, yep. And you would feel like 
Yeah, he got up, man. He got one. He got one. That's the statue that's featured in Walt Disney World. He got one because he's the one that finished the park, the Florida Mm. park for for Walt. So it was kind of like finishing his dream, you know. But yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And that's actually something I want. I said, it. you know, if you ever do something more with uh, movies origins, I would love to see a kind of like a Nancy Goldruff and somebody else that (coughs) co-created and had a falling out. That'd be kind of amazing. (laughs) Just take Disney and Ub have a falling out. Um, well, I think they did because I wanted to kind of uh, grow more as an artist. There's actually a whole book that was released by his son and his uh, granddaughter, who's an amazing documentarian herself, Leslie Iwerks. And she like every every documentary you've seen on Pixar or like, you know, the Imagineering, that's all done by her. So Ub kind of sort of like when did his own thing for almost, I think I want to say 10 years and then came back to Disney. But the can I swear? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fuck yes. <laughs> So the motherfucker created like a lot of the innovations that Disney uses today, like the 360 camera, like that. Remember that space where you could, you could go into a room and you could like see a, a thing in 360. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He invented that kind of camera. He invented the the Xerox uh, method for 101 Dalmatians. That's when 101 Dalmatians you can see like the pencil line of the animators. Yeah, yeah. So which made it kind of like look a little bit like I don't want to say cheaper, but it kind of gave the, the animators liked it because they could see more of their. You know, They're working. Their hand, they yeah. also give it more personal touch. So he came back not as an animator. He came back basically as an inventor. So he kind of had like, he was a guy that always challenged himself. Once he mastered something, it was like next to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. He was just one of those guys that was just like amazing. Just like he had that spirit of like next, next. So he did go back to Disney and him, him and Walt did have like a reconciliation. Uh, reconciliation thank you <laughs> um and uh so yeah he's a big uh, influence for me he did uh he had his own characters flip the frog willy whopper those are his styles huge influence on me and then uh besides the uh all the and popeye ec cigar all those guys but besides that i have a huge influence on japanese animation because growing up vice versa japanese you, influence uh, animation has a huge influence on you yeah yes yes um guys like ozamo tezuka um which are kind of like they were influenced by classic disney and it's like and now we're influenced by anime, so it's like a big circle. All right, all right. Um, but um, growing up in South America, Ecuador, um, I'm so glad that, you know, I was exposed to a lot of that stuff because we were getting- You grew in, up in Ecuador. In Ecuador, yeah. I grew up in Guayaquil. I was born and raised in Guayaquil, Ecuador, and then I moved to the, to the to Philly when I was like 13. So- Were you- was some and you're pro, you grew up fluent in English as well. My mom, my mom was American, so I kind of had. I was one of those kids growing up that nobody could understand what the fuck I was saying. Like until I was like maybe four or five, where I was like, "Oh, this is English and this is." Spanish. You had to separate the two. Yeah, oh my yeah. god, God, could you imagine? <laughs> you don't have to imagine. You're like, bro, I lived it. Yeah. So living here in LA is fucking great because it's like, oh, it's like a combination of both those worlds, like, right? You know, both Philly and you know Ecuador. So and and the weather is great. So when you moved to like Pennsylvania, there was no like, oh man, I didn't know how to speak. You could fucking yeah. communicate freely. There were some barriers like slang, you know, right. like I, I, you know, um, curse words and things like that. But uh, your movies helped me with that. So. <laughs> <laughs> how were the the folks in the Delco area? to an Ecuadorian 13-year-old boy who moves into the neighborhood? Um, well, I didn't... Well, I should I should rephrase. I moved to Philly when I went to college. So the town that I moved into was like this... Uh, I, I, I like to call it the Shire. Because <laughs> basically, there's like three things to do. Golf, mini golf, bowling, and the theater. Right. 
<laughs> I think every small Americana town. You can see Hobbits doing all that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a very heartwarming feeling every time what I come What is the name up, of the town? Uh, Danville, Pennsylvania. Mm. I went to Danville High School. Um, and then I went to University of the Arts in Philly. I lived with my uncle because he lived in Philly. So it was... Um, and, and going back into the, I lived in the city in Ecuador, so moving into Philly later on didn't felt more like home. How weird was it then to go from a city to like Danville, um, the Shire, if you the will. Shire? Yeah, it. I think I think because of the, you know, uh, it was a period of time where you know it was like that coming of age thirteen. Um, I'm I'm just very glad and thankful for my mom mm -hmm. for just encouraging me like to do keep keep me busy because you know it's that age where you could like either go like you know I don't know crazy or and I was just I I, I was going through a lot and you know I didn't realize like making new friends and all that stuff so I was just a nerd like I was the I was the kid like you know there would people be getting drunk at their houses you know like like hey my parents are gone like you know throwing a party I'm like sorry I can't make it I gotta tape Dragon Ball Z at four and, <laughs> and I like to tape it without commercials <laughs> I have to sit there and pause <laughs> yeah so <clears throat> so I was that kid and uh, you know going to art school. Um, yeah, I just kind of, you know, met a bunch of other mutants, you know, like myself. And, and then I came out to the big uh, capital of mutants here in LA. <laughs> here we are, mutant, mutant Central. What animated shows did you work on when you came out? You worked for comedy for Cartoon Network? Yeah, I worked on uh, Adventure Time and Regular Show. <coughs> oh, two shows that everybody hates and nobody ever heard of. What was it like working on Adventure Time? It was fun, man. I mean, I had seen the pilot um, before it became a at the adventure time. Mm. So I was already a fan. And so coming into it, like to be actually part of the production, I started out as a PA. So, and then I worked my way up to production coordinator. And then I actually landed uh, an artist position, joined the animation union and all that jazz and uh, be, uh, became part of regular show. But the whole journey was just kind of amazing because, you know, being in the studio, you get to meet different people. Like <laughs> there was one time, <coughs> I'll tell this story because I know you'll appreciate it. One time I had to give a, gui a guided tour around, around the, around the studio to a bunch of students and, uh, coming out of the recording studio is fucking Mark Hamill. Oh shit. And it was like around the time when they were about to shoot, uh, force awakens. So right. he was like all trim and, you know, like, and, and he had like a, you know, you could tell he had like a Renaissance, you know, right. he was, um, he was looking his best. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then he didn't know me at all. Like I had seen him a couple of times from recordings, but he would, he literally stopped pointed he saw that i was about to start giving a tour and he said like this guy right here he's gonna give you a great time uh, oh, I, was, I was like Such. and then i literally turned around to them i was like the tour is not gonna get any better <laughs> yeah that's, that was that, the highlight, that, that's kids. The highlight kids. <laughs> so uh it was kind of like a moment like hey hey everybody mark hamill applause so um yeah um so yeah i've had little moments like that it gotten to me a lot of really cool people through the voice recording gotten to me a lot of heroes um while being out here one of the one of the side things that i did that i that i still do every once in a while is art galleries and mm. through art galleries is where i've met a lot of like different artists that i collaborate with um i got to do that you know curate that guillermo show and in that Guillermo show, I did um, I did this uh, you know piece called Guru del Toro, and uh, eventually that ended up you know being a toy. I pitched it at Sideshow during uh, under their unruly um, banner, and which is basically kind of like leaning towards independent artists. And, uh, and that's really cool. And then they were like, "Hey, man, um, who else do you like?" 
uh, that would be a good guru. And he, you were like immediately at the top of those. I was like, uh, Kevin Smith and Tim Burton. Nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's good company. So Tim Burton's probably not going to happen because there's no, I don't think there's even a Funko pop of him. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. You don't go for that. Cause that's usually how it go. Like, I'm like, if there's a Funko pop, then there's a chance. Right. All right. <laughs> so, so I, I was very happy that, you know, when, uh, when I pitched, uh, uh, you and, you know, we, we got to make it my only, my only, uh, I, I think it would have been on balance, but I wish I, we, we, I could have put a cock knocker hand, ah. uh, but I think it would have been too, uh, you know, had the, to... the piece is gorgeous. They can see a two dimensional rendering of it. Yeah. Like where's the, they could buy the print at sideshow collectibles. Yeah, I don't the, know if they're still there or not. Yeah. 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 The, the print is kind of, I think it's not a, it's like, oh, you can get Guru Del Toro uh, and the print there. They're still available. The print uh, was, is all me, uh, my 2D design. And then. From that 2D design, uh, a sculptor came, came in and I kind of gave as much notes to my liking. And then they were like, okay, approved. And then there's going to be like, you know, three variants coming out. Uh, date, I don't have dates, but uh, there's going to be an edible edition, which is going to be, well, it's called Redible, which is red. Right. Um, there's going to be a dope variant, which is going to be uh, flocked. It's all going to be all green, which is actually I want to put next to my Moss Man, uh, <laughs> and uh, and then the the regular edition, which is the Clerks Black and White. Edition. Black and so White. That's the you know that's for, for me. Yeah, I, that's the one I'm going to have next to my Guillermo. So you know. I'm going to have all three. I'm a big Kevin Smith fan. <laughs> hey man, let me just jump in here for a sec to remind you, Jay and SilentBob.com, ladies and gentlemen. You want to buy anything Clerks related, anything Jay and Silent Bob related, anything Kevin Smith related, go to Jay and SilentBob.com. Now back to the show. When you curated the Guillermo show, did he go? Yeah, he went. He went. Yeah. So did you get to meet him at the show? I had met him a couple of times, like at small, smaller uh, venues, like dark, uh, dark delicacies, you know, the horror bookshop Mm. in Burbank. They're, they're great. Um, He did a signing there. So over the years, I just kind of like grew this rapport with him. And, uh, and then after the, he actually owns the original one that I did for the art show. So then years later, you know, through like Twitter, I was like, Hey man, you mind if like, we make this into a toy. He's like, fine by me. So Uh, so I kind of, you know, kind of went with a blessing like that. And I think, you know, then I got approvals elsewhere, but uh, yeah, he's great. And I also did um, a children's book uh, based on his childhood called uh, Kid Del Toro. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. 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 Where can they find that? That's uh, published through little Libros. So, and now I feel bad at for swearing because, (laughs) oh, the poor little Libros. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that's adorable, man. What is it called? Kid Del Toro. Kid Del Toro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think if I remember correctly, my first exposure to Guillermo's work, Guillermo directed Minotaur, didn't he? Kronos? Kronos. Yeah. Which is, which is cool because you both, you... 1994 Sundance. Yeah, he did. I think his came out in 93, but you were, you know, you guys were like basically like around the same time. It was, yeah. But yeah, he did. Kronos was kind of his like, you know, that everybody started paying attention to. Yes. Like it was around the same time as as Clerks. Like I I remember because I was working at Miramax. And then he wound up doing Mimic Mimic. at Dimension over the course of what felt like a fucking decade. Because Bob kept going like, we get it we work it and he kept going back and making 
Guillermo yeah. reshoot and reshoot. Like I, I always felt bad for Guillermo because it's like you're taking like one of the premier talents, yeah, and you're treating him like a workhorse. But you know what? He said that because of that experience, that experience um, made him learn to say no. Is that right? To say no, but it also like taught him how to like basically just kind of work like with somebody gives you notes, just kind of like how to like you know. I think work doing dolly shots getting more like doing experimenting and things like that so then he took that experience you know and uh because i think they wanted him i think to do blade 2 immediately after that and he knew that he needed to make like a personal movie for himself first before he went on to do something so he did devil's backbone right after that oh that's right yeah. i forgot about devil's backbone yeah. and the devil's backbone well, well we'll get into this but devil's backbone and uh pants library they're kind of uh companion films are they really because they both take place during the spanish civil war Oh, shit. Yeah. Good point. And what's crazy is that um, the author of Nightmare Alley, William Gresham, mm -hmm. um, wrote, got the inspiration for Nightmare Alley during the Civil War, the Spanish Civil War. So Nightmare Alley begins its life as a book first. Yes. Yeah. Then a feature. Yep. And then years later... Uh, yeah, the uh, Del Toro's movie. Yeah, it started. Uh, it was written by William Gresham in 1946 from his experience during the Spanish Civil War of talking to um, a carnival worker, mm -hmm. and it was just basically him just kind of like documenting, like just the, you know, like the behind the scenes how the sausage is made, basically. Right, right. So he literally put that in a book, and then a year later, Tyrone Power buys the rights and makes it, you know, into this movie. And at the time, I think it was like uh, Sanic. It was one of those producers, like in at Fox, mm -hmm. and. Um, he Tyrone Power wanted to do it originally because he wanted to get away. He he was known for his like romance and swashbuckler like roles, and he wanted to do something serious. Like he wanted to play like this like, you know, like grimy like character that was like you know had like two sides almost. So uh, the 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 role that's played by Bradley Cooper is played by Tyrone Power. Uh, Stan, uh, is it what is it? Stan Stan Carl Car Stan Carl. Oh my God, I, for I forgot already. Uh, but um, so that movie was made, and it, and if you actually watch both movies, mm. uh, they're pretty pretty close. Uh, you were you were saying that you know they're kind of, but the ending is different. The ending they couldn't do the 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 sad ending uh, back then in forty seven. Yeah. So and so. The ending that I mean, we'll get into it. Fuck yeah, spoilers, right? We can talk spoilers. Right? Absolutely, yeah. we'll get into Nightmare Alley. But the the current incarnation of Nightmare Alley, the ending is to bleak to say the least. Well, that the other black and white one is more a triumphant ending. Well, it, it ha still has Stan turning into a geek. You know, still has him like you know like that scene where like you know, and I think in that version. He says, Mr. I, I was made for it. And in Del Toro's version, it's Mr. I was born for it. And it was, I, I think they did born in the new one because it was sadder. Right. You know, but in, so after that, he actually goes to the carnival that he started out in and he actually meets up. Molly finds pity, pity, uh, pity in him and they kind of sort of, you know, uh, make amends. Right. Be, right. Be, right. Before he f turns full geek. So that was the ending of the original. Original one, yeah. And, and that, this one is just... But that was a studio demand because Tyrone Power wanted that bleak 
They wanted that bleak ending like the new one. How does Del Toro get to this movie? Was he a fan of it or did they come to him and be like, hey, what about this? I think I think it was always a dream project. But like you said, it was one of those things where kind of like you kind of have to have like the right, the, your chips at the right place at the right mm-hmm. time. And I'm sure because I know his other dream projects is uh, Lovecraft's at the Mountains of Madness. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure for him after Shape of Water, he's like, I either do mountains or I do Nightmare Alley. And, you know, he chose Nightmare Alley. And what's amazing, you said that it's the most del Toro del Toro movie. And you're right because most of the Toro movies, the monsters are not the monsters. The monsters are the humans. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it is the most monstery, <laughs> uh, del Toro movie. I mean, the movie's gorgeous. I saw it both in black and white. They're doing, you saw the black and white one. Yeah. I saw black and white. Where are they doing it? At the, at the at new Bev, new Bev. Quentin's got a theater out here. Um, that, uh, only screens 35 millimeter prints. Yeah. So, um, Guillermo must have requested that they spit out a 35 millimeter black and white print. Well, yeah. And I think that was one of his requests, like, um, cause there was a Q and a afterwards. And one of the things that he said was like, I think the movie was originally like three hours and change. And then the studio said like, okay, cut it down. But he said, okay, if I cut it down, then can you, you know, uh, fi- I think it was finance or just kind of make, can you give me a black and white version? Right. You know? Cause so, it's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. It used to so, be very cheap back in the day to strike another print, right? Yeah. As long as you had your negative, you could strike as many prints as possible and a couple grand for a print. Now, when you create a print, um, from a film that's, you know, coming out of a digital medium, essentially it's one long effect shot. So you have to render the movie onto film and, and becomes like insanely costly. The, um, we didn't have a print on Tusk, you know, because we were in the digital era and stuff. Yeah. Quentin wanted to screen it as part of Michael Park's week at the at the New Beverly. Yeah. And uh, he asked, he was like, would you mind if I have him strike a print? And I was like, oh, my God, go ahead. And especially when I saw the price tag, I was like, fucking, better <laughs> you and me. Yeah, fucking, you pay for it. Go ahead. That's awesome. Um, so wow. What was the black and white? Like, I, I mean, of course the original wasn't black and white. I right. saw the one I watched was beautiful, lush, yeah. uh, color muted, of course. Uh, but, uh, you know, period film for those, uh, before we dive in for those unfamiliar with the story, uh, uh, nightmare alley tells, uh, the tale of, um, Car Carlisle, uh, Stan Carlisle. Yeah. Let me I just want to double Stan check. Carlisle, who is, uh, winds up. Working at a circus, or yeah, a fair? carnival, carnival, yeah. yeah. Um, and he, he's a drifter, right? He's a drifter. He kind of starts out like, yeah, just kind of intimated like, that he killed. Some, I mean, more than intimated. He, <laughs> but throughout the movie, you learn that he like uh, killed his father. His, his father, and the and the art book is literally called the the rise and fall on Carlisle. So the movie is literally you get to see this this person who has good intentions like has that american dream has mm-hmm. like you know but you know the movie the movie also is basically painting the underbelly of the american dream you know the cuz cuz i you know i can see that happening especially when you live out here in hollywood you know like the like, you're like it's never enough like the next thing the next thing the next thing and you're like you're always like going after like filling that void and you know this is kind of that cautionary tale of like yeah man you got to don't cross the line <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, Stan cross Stan goes beyond crossing the line. He picks up various carny trade while hanging out, and then he wants to make a run at like doing a mesmerization act or a mind reading act, mental act, mental yeah. act, yeah, a yeah, mentalist. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and uh, Tony Collette tells him 
that's that's fine, but never go into a spook show. You know, never cross the line. The spook show is basically like when you're telling people like, oh yeah, your loved one's here. And we see we see the cause and effect of the bad thing of that because then we see uh, Mary Steenberg's character killing killing herself at the end because just so they can be with her son because he says like, you'll be with your son when you, you know, pass away eventually. He's like, all right, well. <laughs> so that's what she meant is like, don't do the spook show. Yeah, don't do the spook show. Just, you know, don't, because you're basically... You can see that's the that's the beautiful thing about this movie about Del Toro's movies is like their character the characters are never you know un- unless they're you know they're a fascist like you know the one in Pan's Labyrinth but the characters are never fully black and white there's always a lot of gray and you can see in Bradley Cooper's portrayal that um, he does kind of have good intentions he what does want to give people hope but then mixed in with the greed you know of making money then it starts getting wishy wishy-washy but yeah she that's what she says like you know don't do this spook show because that's when it starts getting because remember there's a one scene where tony collette like reads the crowd and tells the ladies like oh i can feel my brother's hand and shoulder and then after the right after the show she kind of has to tell her like hey no like you know it's part of the trick yeah yeah but stan just kind of was like goes full he goes with it and to dire consequences later on there is a sequence where um he's talking to uh, Mary Steenburgen, who's lost her kid, and you know, saying like, "Oh yeah, the kid's here, and he's communicating, and he's telling you this." And it's a very, yeah, generally speaking, the act that he has going with uh, his. Are they married or no? Yeah, she's married she, to. She's married, but the thing is, she's married to like a big figure in the city, like to one of the judges. So, because they you hear it on the radio as soon as it happens, like you know, and right before that other character played by, um, uh, uh, man, I'm, I'm blanking, but the other guy that dies, <laughs> uh, the the other rich guy, right, right, Bradley right. Cooper punches his brains out. So, um, but so he winds up with Rooney Mara, and they come up with this like uh, elaborate code system. Yeah. In order for him to keep a blindfold on and, you know, what am I holding? And yeah. the, the, based on the words he's able to say and and, and people are, ooh, it's fun parlor tricks. And then periodically yeah. there are people who are like, you know, talk to the spirits. My, is my brother here? And that's what the Tony Collette character who works the carnival as well was kind of telling him, like, don't get into that. Yeah. Like you're crossing the line. And I thought. When she was doing that, I was like, oh, you know, this is Del Toro is going to be some spooky shit. Yeah. There's no supernatural in this movie. Well, yeah. From what I, from what I, from I think what Guillermo said briefly after the Q&A, he said that they did shoot like this monster sequence, but it was a nightmare that, that, um, Stan, Stan, but they, they cut it out. Took it out. They took it out. Yeah. It's normally, you know, there are monsters at play, uh, there, you know, um, supernatural elements at work in in uh, Guillermo's uh, flicks but this is just greed avarice like the seven deadly sins that kind of make men monsters yeah yeah and i you know and that's one of the things that i think he likes he always says in a lot of his stuff is he doesn't there's no such thing as a perfect human being mm. he always likes to say we we are the most unperfect motherfuckers that you know, that there are and i think that's why he always you know, makes like the, you know, like the, the fascist leader in Pan's Labyrinth, like, you know, cause there, there's like trying to go towards like that perfection that doesn't, it's like an illusion, you know? So I feel like Stan, you know, Stan is kind of in the same, it's just kind of sort of like, yeah. And when I get to this thing and, you know, like it'll, everything will be fine. It just, but just doesn't stop, you know, 
It just keeps going and going and going. There's a couple different movies that play in this movie. Yeah. Because it starts as like the Drifter movie and then it becomes a carnival movie. And then you think, all right, we're going to be carnival movie forever. And then it moves into high society. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it moves into psychiatry. Yeah. Well, when yeah. they introduce the Kate Blanchett character yeah. who like starts getting into um, his head and his, and his bed as well. Yeah. Um, but very... She's unraveling him, yeah. You know, as when, much as he plays people, and he's falling for it. So it's kind of like a du- <clears throat> like a like a double, like you know, because she he kind of sort of like embarrasses her at that show. It's like, all right, motherfucker, I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get. She you. challenges him yeah. and kind of publicly by you know don't yeah d- you know she she won't let uh, the assistant say anything, describe it. She wants him to describe to call it without any prompts or any help yeah because she thinks he's a fraud but he manages to kind of escape by and embarrass her yeah um and uh, i guess that's enough for her to be like well i'm going to destroy this motherfucker yeah because that's what slowly happens like throughout the third act uh, then all of a sudden you're in the midst of this film noir yeah um kind of throwback and then i mean the way that she shot like i think that uh, cinematographer dan lauston just got nominated um just because movies getting nominated for all sorts of words just today got a costume nomination yeah. i i i bet you he winds up getting a dga nomination because mm-hmm. this is a movie that like even though it didn't nobody seems to be talking about it in the mainstream i mean they will be as of february 1st once it's on hbo max or right. whatever but i think a lot of people in the industry are talking about it. They're kind of uh, going for it. And yeah. and cuz it's just you're like this is ballsy, you yeah. know. You take a cast like that, yeah. and a budget like that and you make one of the bleakest fucking art house films that have ever been made. But I mean, but I mean the, the, I think that's the the Torres whole shtick is like he says he says that he has like the worst uh time being a pitch man because all his stories, all the stories he wants to tell. I mean, look at I mean, I don't want to I, I don't know what Hellboy 3 would mm-hmm. be about if it ever gets made, but I mean, spoiler alert, he dies in the comic. <laughs> Hellboy does. Yeah, Hellboy does, yeah. And so that's what... He finally becomes the beast of the apocalypse, like... <laughs> so we think that that's might been where he would have taken, like, the third one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because uh, at, the end of, at the end of the second one, uh, the, the bastard fucking cockteased everybody with a little uh, epilogue at the end of the art book. And it wasn't in the movie, but if you got the art book... You're like, and Rasputin comes back, and all this. I was like, you son of a bitch! I want, I want to see that movie right now. <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, so I mean, but then Mountains of Madness is about it's basically the thing, you know, a group of scientists out in the Arctic, and they all get killed. <laughs> well, but one, and the one comes back and tells the story. Tells the tale. Yeah. So I mean, those are I I I, I you know the stories. I I think if Del Toro makes any other movies, here's my wish list. I want to see his version of Frankenstein. Nice. I want to see Mountains, and I want to see Hellboy three. After that, I'll, I can die happy. <laughs> uh, the wish list. Um. um yeah. The. Uh, I mean, I, I was trying to think back to Mimic. I guess they forced a happy ending on him there too. Yeah. Well, he he. I think you know now that after Shape of Water, where he became like a little bit more well known, mm. they finally released a, a director's cut. Yeah, of Mimic. Yeah, 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 yeah. He yeah. finally got some justice on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where is he from? Uh, Guadalajara, uh, Mexico. Um, and where is where is that in I, relation to? Uh, 
my my Mexican my, my Mexican friends, please don't kill me. I think, <laughs> I think I think it's in relation. It's closer to Mexico City, which and is he, in the center. He's yeah. buddies with um, the trio. Of, yeah, there's yeah. the three of them, and who's the the guy? One guy who did Re- the Revenant. Right, right, right. Uh, Iñarratu. Iñar, Iñar uh, and then uh, who's the third guy? Alfonso Cuarón. Oh, Alfonso yeah. Cuarón. Yeah. Um, did they all know each other, or they're just like, oh, we're three filmmakers from the same country? I think I think him and Cuarón actually went to school together. Are you shitting so, okay, me? Oh, so there's that's that, that's a funny story because like they um the the way they learned film is um they basically got to do their version of the twilight zone growing up in Mexico, but they kind of just literally, cause like, they always say like, yeah, it was like, it was like this shitty version of the twilight zone. <laughs> is it? But it was, it was a great learning. Uh, was uh, it a TV show? Yeah. It was called, I think, Ora Marcada, which is the, uh, the, the, the marked time, you know? So it was uh, a bit, an anthology program. Yeah. Yeah. So he, and you know, Guillermo did a lot of things. Guillermo, I think, you know, it's funny. He's been very true to because um, the children's book that I wrote is about how um, it was inspired by a story that he um, he would pee his bed and like he's because, a bedwetter. Be, yeah, because he saw because his I, I guess uh, let me set it up better. His brother his brother had scared him from uh, I guess it was like an episode of the uh, the Outer Limits that was called the Mutant with like this guy with big eyes. Mm-hmm. So ever since then, he started seeing like you know he was scared of like the dark and he started seeing monsters. He actually saw I think I mean I'm paraphrasing, but he saw actually saw like the the fawn that it's in Pan's Labyrinth coming out of the shadows in his room. If I was a kid, I'd like be you know. shit yourself. Never yeah. mind what the bed. <laughs> so he basically you know like he he was afraid to go to the bathroom and that's why. So he uh, his whole the story is really sweet because he basically said to the monsters when I like you let me go to the bathroom i'll be your friend forever so you know and that's kind of sort of has been his promise is like you know put monsters in, in movies, movies so. it's a beautiful little story yeah oh my god that's sweet um so oh man I, I i went off a tangent and it was like related to what i wanted to say oh so going back to chronos he literally um from doing all these kind of commercial works and things like that he literally started his own uh, special effects company in mexico just so he could do chronos and as soon as Kronos was done, he shut it down. But he learned from all these different guys, like in the industry, like, you know, like I know uh, Forey Ackerman was one of his heroes, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Burns, who has like, you know, the original, the original, original skeleton uh, from King Kong. King Kong. And Chris uh, Ackerman is a guy who published famous monsters of Filmland. Yeah. He was like the original fan for you. he was fanboy he was the original cave uh you know like the caveman yeah. in a room um and uh what was called the acker mansion the acker mansion <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh and, and guillermo uh, learned from the this artist uh the special effects makeup artist called dick smith yeah and uh he's kind he's of the legend who worked on exorcist i believe yep yep uh, did all all that amazing stuff and uh and yeah so you know i think guillermo's been very true to his you know to his uh his deal with the monsters yeah um in Kate Blanchett shows up shifts the movie into this film noir thing um and there's a scam one last scam that they're running on a very wealthy higher up muckety muck played by what's his fuck Richard Farnsworth maybe Richard no. Jenkins Richard Jenkins yeah, sorry yeah, yeah. uh the guy who was in Shape, of, Shape water. of Water and got nominated and stuff yeah um he uh, wants uh, Bradley Cooper to communicate with his dead wife. 
dead girl, like an ex flame, ex flame. Yeah, who who like it, it is hinted at that she had an abortion. Like he forced her to have an abortion. That's why she's kind of like painted in blood, like in that area down there, and stuff like that. So, um, so he kind of has this regret. But then you find out that the character has been mean. That's just to that woman. Oh, to, it's crazy. He has. Women. Well, I mean, it's the scam that you know Bradley Cooper has his uh, has Rooney Mara showing up in the snowy graveyard because Richard Jenkins is getting tired. He's like, I think you're a fraud. Or you're a charlatan. Like, you better show me proof uh, that she's here and that you're talking to her. And yeah, so he organizes it, sets it up that it's later at night. They're by the grave and. Rooney's going to come in in the outfit, her hair done, like the picture image drawing of of this uh, dead girl. And she's got blood kind of in down below the waist and stuff. Um, and he's meant to see her from a distance and, and be so scared. And then she would disappear again. Right. By like, yeah, like nothing, basically nothing goes to plan. And the guy- Oh, no. He goes and grabs her. <laughs> and then he finds out that she's real. And then he sees that it's not her. Yeah. And then he realizes he's being played and, you know, instantly fucking turns. And you learned right before she showed up, you know, as he was talking to Bradley Cooper, rambling, you find out that he's a monster. He's probably killed many fucking women. And, uh, you know, suddenly Bradley Cooper's it's too late to pull back with what's going on. And then everything goes foul and they wind up... Um, killing him right yeah they, he basically he's like because uh, in the in the book version uh he doesn't kill him but it, he goes through a whole period where they're basically chasing making his life miserable they're chasing him so in the movie version i think just to kind of make it you know simple and clean clean they just fucking like you're dying bro so um, out he goes and then they go running and his bodyguard gets run over like really Oh man, that's the one thing I will say about Guillermo's movies. Like I, as much as I'm a huge fan and I look forward to them, that some of the death scenes are fucking brutal. Like, yeah. and I just like it takes me a couple of times watching it to just like I wince a couple of times because, and that comes from him growing like just the reality of growing up in Mexico, just seeing dead bodies all the time. You know, like just a brutal, I guess you're right. I hadn't thought about that brutality. I mean, even me growing up in Ecuador, like there was like newspapers like with dead bodies like you know like and nudity like right there you know so um <laughs> it's got to show up in the work though. yeah yeah so i mean it was it's part of the culture um <clears throat> you know um yeah latin america man where it's it's weird but one of the things that i appreciate and i always always kind of relate to guillermo's work is like you know the paranormal and things like that are not things that are like you know like ooh, you know it's part of the culture it's like mm-hmm. you know like oh i was talking to my dead grandmother last night like oh 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 what did she say you know that's great you say that to somebody here you're like oh you're fucking crazy yeah they're like, <laughs> oh, you got fifty-one fifty. this motherfucker yeah so um what a beautiful thought you're right man that's true there's like a, an acceptance of spirituality in the culture that like here is just like what are you nuts but um there's something magical about that the idea of like you know death sucks but like there's here it's like death's the end and you know but you still have the memories but i would much rather be like you know oh i spoke to my grandmother yeah and live in that world where people see that as pragmatic practical and not weird at all like oh of course yeah. like you people commune with spirits yeah um the he uh kate blanche rooney mara goes uh away from him bradley cooper she's had enough bradley cooper 
goes to get a pile of money yeah. from Kate Blanchett because he's, you know, she was the one that fed him the information. Yeah, we should also set up that the reason that they kind of sort of like teamed up and the reason why he kind of started doing these spook shows because he had all this freaking information because she recorded the sessions. All she the sessions that she had with people. So she he was able to give this guy enough juicy, enticing details. Yeah, ammunition. So he comes back to collect the cash and she you know, in a very film noir fashion, turns on him with a fucking gun and, and uh, tries to kill him. Changes and, all the bills to one to ones. To ones, yeah. yeah. He opens it up and he's like, what is this? Yeah. And she's just cold-hearted killer at heart. And, of course, Del Toro, she just doesn't shoot him. She shoot it, shoots him and he has, like, a gory ear. Oh, it's fucking <laughs> so nasty, man. Oh, Shot, geez. like, half his ear off and shit. Yeah. He goes, uh, he gets away and goes running and, and, you know, winds up living under bridges and jumping trains and, and stops looking like clean-cut Guillermo, uh, 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 Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Um, and more like a hobo. Until ultimately he winds up there's, at a carnival, yeah, and another he, carnival. Yeah, and he goes full circle. And then what's crazy, and I just- There's realized, a show. We didn't even get the guy who's crazy. His dude. Yeah. We, there's a beautiful scene at the top where, you know, when Bradley Cooper first comes to the carnival, he sits down with Willem Dafoe. Mm -hmm. And Willem Dafoe is explaining how carnivals run. And, and more importantly, like, they got a geek. And uh, how they keep the geek under control. Geek for those that are like, what is that? Other than like, you know, oh, I'm a film geek. True meaning of the term geek, the circus term or the carnival term is uh, you bite the head off of a live chicken or a live animal, but predominantly chicken. Mm -hmm. So you're this man beast they bill you as, covered in filth and, uh, you know, barely human. And they'll throw a live chicken at you and you'll bite its head off. And people were paying like a nickel or whatever the fuck to watch that yeah. because, you know, like just like today, people love to watch fucking reality TV. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Back then they were like, that was our Kardashians. <laughs> this motherfucker <laughs> would bite a chicken's head off and it was nuts. <laughs> and that was our Friday night. But, you know, traditionally, I always assumed that the uh, geek in the circus was like there willingly, same as the fat lady, same as the hairy guy. Yeah. And, you know, it was just like, well, that's his thing. Part of the show. Yeah. yeah and yeah, also, yeah. like, when the show's done, he's like, hey, man, so what are we doing tonight? How's it going, guys? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Here, he's depicted as practically a fucking human trafficked prisoner mm -hmm. who um, is there trapped, essentially. And, like, is uh, the, the one uh, geek is moaning and, and trying to, like not escape but like yeah he wants to die it looks like and, and then bradley cooper is told like not to interact with him and stuff yeah. they treat this guy like an animal and willem dafoe tells him like you know it ain't is not a pro you know how you make a geek it's real simple yeah <clears throat> you uh they come to you looking for a job and you say you ain't got nothing and then you say well wait a second you give him a drink and uh you know in that drink maybe there's a little something or whatever the fuck something that gets them real hooked to it so that they're going to need that drink even more. But you're already dealing with addicts, he says. And then, um, you know, you go like, you ain't got no work. Oh, but there is one thing, you know, temporarily. We just, or we lost our geek. You can do it for like a few days and then, you know, get you back on your feet and then you can do something else. And yeah. so they're like, uh, okay. And slowly they back into it. And before they know it, they're fucking trapped human animals Psych. in a cage yeah. <laughs> so willem dafoe literally tells us this in the first 15 minutes of the movie yeah essentially it, telegraphs 
the end of the movie. But yeah. you you don't think about it. Like I never once while he was describing it was I, I'm a, a guy who writes movies. Never once was I like, this is going to come back at the end. Yeah. And there he is, Bradley Cooper, at the very end of the movie, looking disheveled and, and very geekish and talking to another carnival, uh, run, a guy who runs a carnival played by, what's his fuck? Um, oh, yeah. Um, um, the guy who's every Cohen brother. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say. <laughs> but he's an amazing, guy. he's an amazing Wonderful actor. But what's crazy is that that baby is in the scene. So it's almost like Enoch, because isn't Enoch in the Bible supposed to be like the knowledge yes. of, of God? So it's almost like the baby, and he, he, Willem Dafoe even says like, you know, it's I follows you. So it's almost like full circle. Because he had in in uh, Willem Dafoe's office, he has this like human baby, baby yeah. you know, in a jar. The you know, de- it died which is very del- which is very del Toro thing. If you've seen Devil's Backbone and a bunch of his other movies, he loves uh, dead babies in a jar. <laughs> <laughs> in a jar yeah. <laughs> uh, but but uh, it it appears again in this uh, um, the carnival guy's uh, office at the end. He's like, oh, I bought it from an old carnival which presumably was the one that willem dafoe willem dafoe was running and so uh you know bradley cooper's in real bad shape and and uh he offers him a drink and he's like i ain't got any work for you and he's like you know come to think of it he's like there is a position uh we just lost our geek and bradley cooper looks up it's temporary (laughs) and he realized you just see sees it yeah like and remembers and he's now gone full circle and like chogard said before it hauntingly he starts chuckling with real fucking bad teeth and looking real terrible and shit and he yeah. and what does he say he goes mister i was born for it i was born for it because <laughs> he's like do you think you can do that he goes mister i was born for it and it's like this credits oh dude and it's like that's the end of the fucking picture yeah I could not fucking believe it. We yeah. were like, I turned to my wife and I was like, holy <laughs> shit. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, I was like, look, that's the movie I came to see. I came to see what <laughs> happens next. Show me the Bradley Cooper is the geek movie and shit. But yeah. we already watched it. Yeah. Essentially, that was the thing. And, and there were moments when he was interacting with the geek that I was like, you know, oh, I wonder if that's. Yeah. You know, be, is a, you thought it would be a running storyline, but it wrapped up within the first 15 or 20. Yeah. And then you never thought about it again until that moment, until he was in that guy's office. And you're like, oh, shit. Mm. Oh, shit. He put him back right also, where he started. We also see the flashback of how because, you know, they set up the character kind of sort of like, oh, this guy's kind of reinventing himself and restarting his life. But then we see the flashback of him, like, basically killing his father. You're like, oh, this motherfucker has been ruthless, like from, from the, the start, from the get go. Yeah. yeah. And also, um, I just realized, too, the parallel of the relationship between Tony Collette and uh, David. Uh, what's his last name? Uh, who plays Pete? Who plays the where where? um Stan gets all his, he steals all his tricks. He steals from. all his stuff. But from their him. relationship, if you look about David Strathairn. Yeah, yes. Um, um, their relationship is kind of a preview of what happens with him and Molly. Yeah, that's Cause, true. Because she, uh, Tony Collette's like, poor Pete, breaks my heart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. It's a dark fucking picture, kids. <laughs> like, it's but no. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It, it, but I mean, like, you know, thank, thankfully, man, we're in the era of uh, the pandemic kind of still. Yeah. Because then you could always be like, well, you know, like fucking people aren't going out to the movies and that's why this movie, you know, didn't find the audience the way it should have. It's going to, trust me. It just didn't at the box office. But even in pre-pandemic times. Yeah. 
I, you know, could you imagine you're like, let's go see Nightmare Alley. Get the popcorn. Holy shit. By the end of the movie, you just want to fucking put a gun in your mouth. It is such a haunting, haunting dark picture. Insanely well made. And I could not fucking take my eyes off of it. Yeah. Yeah. But like still, I was, you know, I, I mean, of course, the question, the answer to the question, who is this movie for is anybody who appreciates great filmmaking. Yeah. That being said, remove that. <laughs> who is this movie for? You know what I'm saying? Like, who is going like, I know what will cheer people up. Ah, time, to, <laughs> time to put in uh, my feel good movie. Uh, it's, like, it's like, it's like people that like watch a uh, Requiem for a dream. I'm like, I'm like, uh, you, uh, hey, like man, Hey man, good for you. You know, or like, like not just that watch Requiem for a dream. They're like, Oh, I always, that's my favorite movie. Like on, I watch it on repeat and it's like, how the fuck can you like, yeah, God, it was tough to get through ass to ass once. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that I ever need to go see see that again before I hit the grave could, and shit I could like never that. Watch Labyrinth the same way ever again. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Oh my god. Um, uh, the the uh, Goblin King, indeed. I uh, I highly recommend if people because the thing is like uh, I, I feel bad as a Yermo fan. I didn't go to see it immediately. Be, you know, pandemic and everything. Mm. Um, but I'm glad that I saw it in black and white first, and mm. then in color because there it's almost. I don't want to say they're two different movies, but man, they definitely i actually i think it's because i was watching also for the first time but i think the black and white just felt like it felt more like even more bleak right right. so it had like it was just gorgeous like that scene in the beginning where um he burns the house and the, the flames are literally white you know like it's just like so beautiful to look at um and then the 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 normal edition version is gorgeous especially all the carnival stuff like yeah did did you notice like when um it's basically when he goes inside that tent. What What's cool, I found out in the Q&A is that that tent scene, they actually shot like inside, like, you know, um, I mean, I'm not, it's not like, I don't know why I'm act, acting like it's a surprise, but it's so cool that they actually had like this like fan, like making it look like it was like a storm. Like the, yeah, the breathing, depth, in, breathing and in and out. But it's so cool to see like it's basically Stan going into the depths of hell because he goes through the mouth of the devil. Yeah, oh, the, shit. And then on the other side is like the skull and all that stuff. So eye protein. That's you know, true, yeah, man. All that, all that there's stuff. a guy who's working, like yeah. who's putting in, I mean, I guess you can't call them Easter eggs. It's just part of the composition of the shot. It's, yeah. it's like not him going, I'm going to hide something. He's like, yeah. it's right in plain sight. Open yeah. your fucking eyes. Did you see uh, Crimson Peak? Yeah. Oh my God. Eon's yeah. back. Yeah. Crimson Peak, there's the symbolism of the one girl, the pure girl being the butterfly and the other girl being the moth. And mm. there's literally a shot when they're about to have a confrontation. There's a jar in the background of a moth eating a butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> so stuff like that, you're like, oh, holy shit. You know? Um, yeah. Uh, you Have you seen Kronos? Way back in like 94. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I You could tell like uh, a lot of like the the religious aspects of it like you know i love there's one line in the movie i'm probably not going to say it right but he's like uh because it's all it, the whole movie is about like uh, del toro's take on vampirism mm. and uh how basically this one guy this one sick guy who's lost all his organs because he has cancer is basically trying to find immortality so um there's this little device that has a bug in it there's a lot of insect uh stuff in all his movies but right. in this movie it's like this little bug that lives inside a device that basically once you hook, hook it up to yourself it like kind of but you have to then consume human blood to you know but anyways going back to it there's a there's a guy who wants the device and he says like who's to say he says who's to say uh 
uh, Jesus wasn't an insect. Uh, the insects are the most like, you know, perfect creatures in the animal kingdom. You know, uh, I, just, I just love that line. It's, it's great. Uh, but anyways. Where are you on Shape of Water? Oh, I love it. And it's yeah. funny. It's funny because it's, I think he wanted Such to. Such a beautiful movie. Oh, it, it's gorgeous. And I think he originally wanted to do that movie in black and white. So that's why I'm like, it doesn't surprise me to see that, you know, he did this Nightmare Alley. He did Alley Nightmare Alley, did a, a version. I mean, Universal was smart. They would just be like, hey, you want a monster universe? Give it to the little Toro. Right? Jesus. I mean, like on. why they were fucking around going like, let's uh, have, uh, you know, the, these highbrow Tony folks, just give them all to him. He seems to like yeah all those characters he's he's done his versions of of all of them to some degree with yeah, the exception the, of frankenstein he's done the vampire he's done the creature um and yeah oh my god dude i would love to because i know he said that he wants uh doug jones to play the creature oh shit yeah so and frankenstein is one of my all-time favorite things. i guess it would be you know what like the, if they gave him the universal monsters it'd be kind of redundant at this point yeah Except for Frankenstein, if it's, they were like, that's like, give him, give him that one, the granddaddy. Yeah, yeah, no, and um, there's actually the best version of Frankenstein I've ever seen is played by Luke Goss. Is the BBC one? It's like four hours long, and Luke Goss is also a Del Toro alumni. He played uh, the Reaper Prince and Blade Two, and then he played the Prince again in uh, Hellboy Two. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. fucking look at you, man! Fucking deep cuts. <laughs> Um, that's why he came here yeah i know he came loaded for bear it was uh children had uh texted me he's like hey man i've been listening to film school fridays and he's like if you ever want to do guillermo del toro i was like i do as a matter of fact i would love to talk about nightmare alley yeah um february 1st i believe it is it's going to be on hbo max kids and um you know i think probably before that or around that time it'll be transactional or if it isn't already or i doubt it is um it will be soon, so like you can check it out on iTunes or whatever the fuck. But do check it out. Just don't like base your weekend on it. You know, just don't be like, "This is my Saturday night." Make it your Saturday afternoon because you're going to need a few hours afterwards to digest and clean your soul. Because <laughs> um, it is a movie about human darkness, and and there's ve- is there a single good character? Like a moral character, I guess Rooney comes close, but even she's a fucking Ron, liar. Ron Perlman, <laughs> he tried to save Rooney Mara. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> I guess there's a purity there of yeah. sorts. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's it's quite a motion picture, and I don't want that to sound like facetious or something where it's like, uh, oh, he can't say nothing nice about it. I can say plenty nice about it, and I think I have, but. I can't think of another movie that has stuck with me as much as that movie stuck with me this year. Yeah. So even though it didn't like take the box office by storm, I can see it backdooring into all the awards this year. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's going to win, but it, I think you're going to see this movie and him nominated a lot more. I, I think right now, like I said today, I believe it like there was a costuming award that it got nominated for and and there was a production design award it just got nominated for it so i think it's you're gonna see it as a contender coming up are they still doing like 10 fucking movies for best picture i don't know I, if I mean, they I, are this is definitely i stopped watching a long not. time ago and actually when guillermo won that one year i was like oh <laughs> yeah, oh shit quick turn it on <laughs> yeah and now turn it back off so yeah so. um yeah there's a if if they're still doing 10 fucking movies there's no way this does not get 
nominated. A, he's an alumnus, you know, who's won before. But B, this movie, like, really, it does stand out. It's 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 an auteur film. Like, you can see the filmmaker all over it, for heaven's sakes. And, um, and you know, it, it also has a Hollywood pedigree. Like, the movie's been done before, and Hollywood loves a remake. Yeah. I can see him like uh, surprising a bunch of people like I, more people are about to interact with this movie than have for the last month or something like that if anything if anything i'm not religious but like this is almost as good as going to church and you know because you feel after after the movie you're like man i'm not gonna fucking sin yeah <laughs> like i'm gonna be a good person yeah you try to clean up your fucking act <laughs> instantly you're just like look how do i avoid sitting in some dude's fucking office with him offering me a drink going like it's temporary <laughs> it's a temporary job biting chicken's heads off yeah um Fall down uh, the, uh, the 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 path of Nightmare Alley, kids, uh, as it comes your way uh, the next week on uh, on on home video and HBO Max and, and stuff. And I think and I think it's playing uh, the black and white is playing in select theaters now. It, it was in LA for just in LA for a while, but now it's going to be going out into different cities. So if you can catch it in black and white, catch it in black and white. Um, the, the excellent fucking tip there, man, and in a theater no less for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I wonder if they'll do the black and white version like. Yeah, part home of, video probably like a month later. Part of me is like, are they going to release it as a special feature, or going to do a whole like a different release? I'll buy both. <laughs> I say, fuck them. I'm going to take my TV. I'm going to turn the color down to black and white, and I'm just going to watch that fucker in black and white my way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the movie kids is Nightmare Alley. The filmmaker is the great uh, Guillermo del Toro, man. And uh, here talking about it have been uh, me, uh, your student Kevin Smith. And Chogren, fuck, you brought a lot of fucking Guillermo del Toro GDT information. I wanted to make it worth your time, man. So uh, it was well worth the fucking time. Where can they interact with uh, your shit and fuck with your shit? Uh, everything on social media, Chogren, uh, website is Chogren.com. Uh, currently, uh, uh, your toy will be available soon. The the Guru series, there's a one of Guillermo called Guru del Toro. There's a, I have a children's book, bilingual children's book called Kid del Toro. And, um, yeah, the Guru SQ and the Mall Rats will be coming out later this year. I was, as I was telling Kelly before we started the podcast, this is, I just turned 37. This is my Kevin Smith year. So. <laughs> he's absolutely right. And the fucking thing he's working on right now and almost done with is the, the, uh, view SQ card for Clerks 3. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, he redid, uh, the clown and he was like, um, are you have, do you have a logo for the movie yet? And I was like, no, you want to do it? And. It came together within two or three days. Yeah, I, I'm still. I won't believe it until I see it. <laughs> <laughs> We're mixing the movie uh, now, so I think I see it was today, Wednesday, or Tuesday. Yeah, today's Wednesday. Today's Wednesday. So tomorrow, um, I see playback of reels like one through four. That reel with the logos and stuff is reel zero. So we got a few more days, but. Um, like it's yeah it's since, space is being held for it already since you set it up i want to like give a shout out to my uh buddies over at matt cg who is that are, who's doing it what is it called the company uh matt cg they're in quito ecuador uh it's a studio that i'm actually uh working with uh they animated my uh my first short film that i wrote and directed called lucky brave sunshine fucking hey are you done with it uh we we will be done with it because we got to start submitting it to festivals in february <laughs> <laughs> is that when the February February is the submission yeah, date? Yeah, the big one is uh, Annecy in France. So how long is the short? Uh, seven minutes, eight minutes with credits. And it's like CG. It's all CG. Yeah, yeah. It's based. It's based on my own ch childhood stuff, and it's a, basically a space western coming of age. 
And you drew it in 2D and then handed it to somebody and said, make this 3D? Or yeah. did you do it? Did you have... The, how does that work? Uh, I uh, Well, I always... I knew that uh, working in an industry and making connections and stuff with people, I know that I always wanted to kind of go back to my roots and, right. and give back in a way or work with, you know, talent because, you know, uh, a lot of places around the world are, are not LA, you know? So um, I saw this one short... Uh, uh, called After Work um, uh, done by the studio mm -hmm. and I saw they were from Ecuador and I was like immediately I was like I actually didn't have an idea at the time of for a short but I was like I'll make one <laughs> just to work with these guys and um, my co-director uh, his name is Ichi Aguilar and uh, he uh, he's kind of been you know uh, also a, a great mentor and I've learned a lot from him even though I've, wor I've worked in the animation industry for the last 10 years you know writing and directing your own thing is, is a holy completely different beast so um i've learned a lot and looking forward to making more shit so we'll see fingers crossed and uh, fucking a yeah. man he's on fire kids the uh <laughs> the name is chogren and you can find where do you have a where's the where do you send people uh chogren.com and uh instagram uh, all social media just chogren c-h-o-g-r-i-n um chogren do you tell him you have a secret identity or no Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's I I can say that my name uh, uh, it comes from two words. So I will leave it there. <laughs> um, thank you for coming on, talking up uh, the great uh, G D T, ladies and gentlemen, Guillermo del Toro. Um, that uh, is Film School Fridays. Uh, fuck, I don't even know how I signed these things off. Something about like maybe the belt. Uh, uh, oh, class dismissed. But wait, I should. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't... We should say our names. Um, for Film School Fridays, I'm Kevin Smith. I'm Chogren. Class dismissed. There you go. This has been a Smodco Internet production. Sip only at smodcast.com. <laughs>